Welcome to QWERTY Writing Life Podcast, where we have candid chats about our creative lives. This is May. And I'm Joy. For more information about our podcast, monthly newsletter, or author resource series, visit us at QWERTYWritingLife.com. That's QWERTY, spelled Q-W-E-R-T-Y. It's the first six letters on your keyboard. So, are you ready? Grab your tea. Or your coffee. And let's chat. Hello, everyone. It's another week. Hello and welcome. We are having a special episode of Quarty Writing Life, where we will be interviewing a creative, the founder of WeGrow Media, Dan Blank. Welcome, Dan. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's fun to chat. Well, Dan did agree to chat with us as we dive deeper into the topics of creative place and purpose, which we've been examining this season. He has fantastic insights into the power of collaborations with fellow creatives and our target audiences. Plus, his expertise on the human-centered approach to marketing fits perfectly with our ongoing discussion. But before we go further, May, would you give us a proper introduction to Dan? Yes, I absolutely will. In fact, Dan gave us a proper introduction to share, so that's wonderful. (laughs) So Dan is the founder of WeGrow Media, where he helps writers develop a human-centered approach to marketing and research and reaching their audience. Uh, He is the author of the book, Be the Gateway, a practical guide to sharing your creative work and engaging an audience. He has worked with thousands of writers and amazing organizations who support creative people such as Penguin Random House, Sesame Workshop, Hushet Book Company, I'm sorry, Hachette Book Group, Workman Publishing, J. Walter Thompson, Abrams Books, Writer's House, The Kenyan Review, Writer's Digest, Library Journal, and many others. You can also find Dan after this interview on his blog, wegrowmedia.com, or on Twitter Twitter or Instagram. Oh, it's not Twitter anymore. Or on X or Instagram at Dan Blank. I know, all these changes. (laughs) a lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So on a personal note, I just have to toss in here that Dan has been one of the most influential people in my professional creative life. His book has overhauled the way I approach marketing, and it has given me a blueprint for how to bring my stories to readers and to do so by way of experiences and human connections. So thank you, Dan, for your influence on me and for your willingness to join us here today. Thank you for the kind words. I really do appreciate that. Yes, Joy has been um, sharing information about Be the Gateway and to the point where I've even bought the book now. So word of mouth is real. <laughs> so we can talk about that if you'd like. Um, but word of mouth is real. And we knew that you were the right person to ask for this part of the conversation uh, on Forty Writing Live Season 5. So thank you. Uh, so let's get into our chat. So first of all, Dan, would you like to explain your marketing approach? Yeah, sure. Um, So I work with writers. There are a lot of people that help people figure out how to write a good book or write better or how to publish better. Always the challenge that I really resonated with is the idea of you're someone who has an idea and you're prepared how do you connect with people? So I grew up, I was the art kid. I was the kid doing all the photography and the poetry and the stuff. All my friends were all the weirdo performers. My wife is an amazing artist. And that moment of feeling like I have this thing and I can't connect it to people is what always stuck with me. It was never, are there enough ideas? Can we figure out how to make it? We can do that. Can we get people to see it? And what I found in the work that I do is so much of it is about these one-on-one connections. And the nice thing about the last 15 years or so is we have a lot more information than we ever had about how can you market a book? How can you launch a book? How can you get publicity? How can you use social media? How can you use Substack? All of these different things. But often we're talking about the idea of me to an audience. And that just freaks people out because it's really hard to think about an audience And we now have all this data that we never had before, which is amazing to see how many people liked a post or reshared it or commented on it or forwarded to a friend or signed up. But again, for people not just starting out, even the kind of like mid-level or even people who are very experienced, that data can just really freeze you up. And I think what we forget 
is what you were saying before about the idea of word of mouth marketing. These things happen from one-on-one connections, whether it's you to an it's you to an individual, whether it's a reader or an organizer or a podcaster, or it's from one reader to another. And we think about the idea of whether it's be the gateway or human-centered marketing or all the concepts we can talk about, it very much is this idea of not thinking about you over here in one corner, creating a brochure and spewing it out to the world to go viral. It's about you developing a network of connections and you creating experiences for these people. And what I find is that this humanizes, it kind of brings everything down to a level that we can understand, which is how who can I email today? Who could I reach out to? Who could I collaborate with? Who could I celebrate? And that to me is the basis of not just really effective marketing. We think about like the theory of marketing. It's also to me the idea of building a life as a writer that feels fulfilling. Because a lot of writers come to the idea of marketing and sharing as like, well, I don't want to be a marketer. I mean, I'll do it if I have to around book launch. Um, you're getting my voices today, by the way. But you know, after that, I'm not doing it. And it's this idea of like, well, what if we go back 20, 30, 50 years where, yes, as a writer, you you sat there over your typewriter and you wrote, but then you went down to the cafe, you went to the literary salon, you you showed up, you engaged in a, a, a fruitful community of people who create and people who read and people who celebrate that kind of stuff. That's what I think is possible. And I'll just end with, I'm like a major introvert. And people always say, oh, Dan, I like your stuff, but I'm an introvert. It's like, I don't like leaving my house. I don't like leaving this room. I'll go to my studio. But it's like the tools we have nowadays allow, it allows this. It allows the idea of us connecting, seeing each other, talking with each other. And it feels meaningful. And yet we are all ensconced in our lives, which are very, very busy, probably very stressful. And I think that that is a tool, these are tools that are empowering to writers instead of how people typically view them, which is like, oh, I could, I could take or leave the internet. It's like, okay, but there are some really powerful communication tools we can use that might help your book reach more people. So it's really, it's, it's looking at what you have available to you and taking it and making it your own in some ways, but also just kind of going back to that old school way of those connections and we have that at our fingertips literally Uh, we have that same cafe pub whatever thing concept Uh, it's just looking at what we have available to do that with yeah definitely so I have a question how did you come to be the go-to guy (laughs) for this human-centered approach to marketing and how has your approach evolved over your years in the industry So I've been doing this work full-time for 13, I guess going on 14 years. Um, So a lot of things in life, I are in this kind of area, I I just show up. So I've sent out a weekly email newsletter every week for 18 years. I've had a podcast for years. I've shared tens of thousands of social media posts. I am always in conversations with writers and with creators, whether it's personally like friends of mine or clients or just this or just readers. So everything I share really comes from the idea of like, look, I, you know, I don't pretend to be this authority in a way. What I can tell you is what I'm hearing from people. What I can tell you is what I'm seeing in the marketplace. What I can tell you is from my totally obsessive analysis on this, this is what I'm seeing. And that I find what's nice is that it helps me feel like I'm relevant, like I'm talking about things happening right now. Like we could talk a lot about how social media has changed in the last year because it's changed in a remarkable way. But it's the idea of it feels nice because I'm just talking to people who create. I'm not spewing these stats that some huge marketing company came out and then trying to convince you of something. It really is the idea of talking to people writing, talking to people, analyzing. Um, I have a post coming out. I've had a series of posts, actually, but they're basically like book marketing case studies. And I'm leaning into what happens in my head, which is like, this is how I really think about things when I'm analyzing it. Let me like write this down. And like every time I write one of these newsletters, I get the warning saying, this is too long for an email. Like Google won't even show this. And I'm like, but it, it has to be this long. Like this is how I'm analyzing it. So here's a link to read the whole thing. Um, to me, it's just being in conversation with people consistently and still pursuing these, like, you know, a handful of questions about what is effective and how people can share what they do. 
I love what you said about um, about having all of these opportunities around us, but we, we kind of can draw it back a little bit and look at things that we can do with the resources that we have. And you you talked about just having a conversation or sending one email, which leads me to a resource that we seem to overlook quite a bit, and that is our time. And so we might have an hour, we might have a day, but sometimes we have a lot of our listeners who have full-time jobs or their parents or their, you know, they have other responsibilities, their caretakers. And sometimes you only have 10 minutes or 15 minutes. But I was thinking about when you were saying sending an email or reaching out to another creative or something, that that's something I can do in 10 minutes. That's something I can do in 15 minutes and just show appreciation for somebody else's work as I'm creating myself. Um, And that just struck me as a really good tidbit to think about because we are moving forward. We're doing something that is going toward the marketing part of it, even if we're just appreciating someone else. Um, That was, that spoke to me. Something (laughs) I think, thank you. Something I think a lot about is energy versus time. And I've noticed this with myself that if I have, whether it's a period of time like 10 minutes or 18 minutes or an hour, it's so much more about my creative energy. And if it's, because I can do like, I mean, I'm sure like all of you, there are some hours of the day you get like an amazing amount of stuff done. And then there are chunks of hours where you sort of like don't feel we get a lot done. I think so much about prioritization and then using that energy. So I mentioned at the top of the call, like normally I'd be in my studio, I'm home because my wife is sick. So that means I am like the full-time caregiver for my two kids who thank goodness are healthy and are in school. Yay for school. Um, <laughs> But I mean, I'm doing everything for her, everything for the house, everything with the kids, doing this, doing my job. And again, it comes down to every morning, it's about prioritizing, like what has to get done? What is going to feel good? How do I fill myself up and and kind of get to each of their things? So much of it is about energy to me because there's never enough time. I could spend 49 hours a day just trying to keep this house in order. And that's for, it's not even getting to her and getting to my kids and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so I think a lot about, yeah, there's little actions that make you feel like you're moving forward, whether it's every day or every week, depending on what your goals and what your resources are. Right. And as writers, we know that it's those little actions that build on top of each other that ends up being um, an essay book or a novella or a novel or that sort of thing. So why would marketing be any different? Our first episode of the season was how to collaborate your creative purpose. What is the most common step you see creatives miss when they are analyzing, adjusting, or articulating their creative identity? Oh, gosh. Well, I hope we have a lot of time. Um, <laughs> as much as you'll give us. <laughs> it's, a, it's a couple of things. So one, I think it's a feeling that they need to be an expert or they need someone's permission. Mm-hmm. And the older I get, I turned 50 this year. Over the years, 30, 40, 50, I've realized that I grew up with a total gift. I grew up with the gift that I was encouraged to create and it was okay to create. So I went to art classes when I was little. My parents are both great with that. I've And that was just luck of the draw because many, if not most people I find, they feel that they don't have permission to create or they say, look, Dan, you know, I would join Substack, but I mean, who am I to do this? Or there are so many people on there already talking about this, or I'm going to get my MFA first and then I'll do that. And, you know, look, more education is always great. Never going to stop anyone from that. But this idea of like your experience, your worldview, your voice is unique to you. And if you speak to that, that is one, it's unique to the universe, period. But two, you're going to have people that follow you that don't either know about those other people or they know about them and they don't care. It's the way that you write about it, the way that you view it that resonates with them. To me, this is one of the big lessons of social media. How often do you see someone on like Instagram and you're like, how does she? have 4 million followers. What is, what is it about she's doing? I don't even know what she does. She has no bio. She has no credentials, whatever. And But people love, truly love what she shares. They pay for her Patreon. They show up for events. I'm just talking about like this general influencer person. And that is, to me, one of those lessons of like, it's who you are. It's how you share. It's how you connect with people. Um, so that's one of the first things, that sense of not feeling you need someone else's permission or feeling you need specific credentials. 
Um, but I can talk more about it. I need this, the question restated, or we can kind of go up to a follow-up question. It's totally up to you. <laughs> okay. So yeah. So what when people are when a creative is kind of analyzing and figuring out their creative identity or adjusting that, um, yeah. what are some of the mistakes that they make or or that kind of thing? So it's the permission, and then it's not being clear enough about their message. So one of the first things I do with people, there's two exercises I have. Uh, one is on my website called Clarity Cards, and the other is Key Messages, which I talk quite a bit about now. It's usually the first thing I'll do when I'm working with a writer. It's really figuring out, what is your message? And a lot of people, oh, Dan, I, I know my message. I have that down. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's great. I'm happy for you. Can we talk about it? And often it's pretty vague. And often it doesn't, you know, it sort of kind of explains a thing. Like, you know, here is a thing, an object. But what it doesn't do is talk about, well, why are you creating that object? What does it mean in here? Uh, how is someone receiving that object? How do they look for that object? What is it about that object, and we can obviously replace it with a book or a story or a theme, that really draws them in? Like, like if you go to a conference, any kind of conference, like a writing conference, there are a million topics on the agenda. If you go to the bar or the cafe between sessions, what are people really talking about? That usually it's based on something they really want, like, oh, they're talking about the pitch slam to the literary agents, or something that they're really afraid of, like maybe it's the AI sessions. Really figuring that out for your messaging, really getting clear about that is another thing that I think people, they kind of rush past. And then the next thing I'll just say is repetition. Um, not in a rote, boring way, but really focusing and saying, well, if this is what I'm about, and this is why I write, and this is why people are interested, what are 20, 30, 80, 1,000 ways I can talk about this? So when I talk about doing a weekly newsletter for 18 years, it's this idea of I am exploring this topic. I'm curious about this topic. And that's an unending well, because I'm changing, the topic is changing, the people I write to change. And there are so many ways to do that. I think when people think about identity, they they just sometimes go a little thinner than they need to. And I think you can think about how deep it goes in you. You can think about different emotions, different ways of tackling a, a topic from different emotional levels. And then really thinking about like your ideal reader, which is another thing I'll tackle pretty quickly with a writer when I'm working with them, which is like, what will really draw them in? It's not just about this idea of, should I be on this social network or that social network or what is the best way to SEO a headline? Although all those things are great. It's this very idea of what is the, the phrase that will draw someone in? What is that first line? What is the paragraph? Where do you include that reader? Um, does it connect to something else that you do? How are you showing up? So when you think about presenting yourself, I think a lot of people get a little too what I would call like professional in air quotes where they're trying to seem professional, and in doing that, they sort of suck out everything that's interesting about them as a human being. Um, so I'd encourage you to kind of lean into the things that make you, you, and talk about the experiences that you've had that are uniquely yours, because that's something you have complete, total, utter authority on. Um, that flows in really great to my next question for you, and that is, what about someone, so specifically an author. Let's talk about an author who has been doing this for a while, but maybe they haven't audited, audited their platform. That's a hard word to say, audited their platform. <laughs> or Most updated people are scared of that message. word. <laughs> yes, I know. That's a horrible word. Why did I use that one? <laughs> but um, what would you kind of give them as like a starting point for, you know, looking at what they have out there and how they've grown and changed over the years? Like what is that first step to yeah. get back or, or update their information. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of people I work with, like they'll have a perception that it's just, oh, I'm new. I need to do this. I work with so many people who are successful. They have tens of thousands of followers and multiple books out. And they're coming with the same questions about clarity that a, a quote unquote new author would. Um, often we're looking at the future. We're thinking about, okay, for your next book or two years from now, or, you know, how do you want to be known? What do you want to be talking about? What kinds of conversations do you want to be in? What kind of if you are going to be somewhere, you know, who are the people you're talking with and, and what are they doing? Um, some of it's almost like a visualization in a way of really thinking about where are you going? Because we kind of can build towards that life that you want. Oftentimes we get 
trapped by previous work or previous success. Um, I've had a lot of conversations with artists over the years about that. Like, well, this thing did really well, but it, I hate it. I don't even know like why people, the people that buy that, it's not what I'm about, um, that sort of thing. So one is kind of visualizing that a little bit. Then to me, it's about like going back to the well. It's like, okay, let's go back and restate, you know, goes back to key messages. You know, what are you about? Talk to me about what you create and why you create it. Talk to me about the components of that. Um, maybe we'll do like informational interviews with, you know, members of their audience. And then a lot of it too is about simplifying. Often if we've built a platform at all, we have all these little like threads dangling about. We have this old website. We have that thing that used to be called Twitter and we have you know, well, I got, I got interested in TikTok, but then I abandoned it. And a lot of times it's the idea of thinking about, okay, where do you really want to show up? Um, what is really central to what you do? What feels like it is fueling you instead of depleting you? Um, I would say for a lot of writers at the moment we're recording this, they're talking about Substack in that way, which I've talked a lot about, which is a lot of social networks seem to be dragging people down and Substack, which is unique in a way, feels actually fun, actually interesting, actually exciting to people. So there's a lot of conversation about that and people are kind of reinventing themselves there. Um, some of that, I think they're cutting off the baggage of other social networks a little too quickly because I do think they have a utility, um, but everyone gets to decide that for themselves and it'll still be there in the future. Um, but really going back to the well, really talking to other people and visualizing where do I want to be in a year? What kinds of conversations or experience do I want to be having? You know, and sometimes we can go really deeper with that too and say, what's your ideal workday? Because some of the some of the writers I work with, like we're doing big, heavy duty business planning. We're like deciding like what kind of career they want. I'm like, you know, helping writers make big decisions about jobs to take or in some cases jobs not to take because they're really building this sort of specific career that they want. And that affects who they are, it affects their family, it affects their income, like it affects everything about who they are. Yeah, um, I also think too, I think Brene Brown said something about this, about every time you take a, a job, you, you're you're being responsible for the outcome. So it's like, do you want to be responsible for the outcome of this particular thing? And if you don't care about it enough, then maybe it's not the thing for you to do. Rather than like that's been percolating a little bit. In the back of my mind, as I um, as I move forward creatively, and also I have a full time uh, job position as well, and like what what do I want to be responsible for? I love that. I've, I've thought about that as friends have talked about this because I mean I work for myself and this supports my family, so it's this unbelievable thing, and it's also terrifying. And I'll have conversations with like you know close friends and like oh what if that failed and you're like what would I do. And every time I'm like, I would just build it again. Like, I don't want to do anything else. Like, I like working with writers and people who create, and I love working for myself, and I love what I, you know, it's sort of like, it keeps going back to that, which is a very rare and very special thing. But it's the idea of like, no matter what kind of work you do, it is difficult. So where you put that energy and that identity um, is, is a big question. And there's a lot of different motivations. I mean, just getting an income is hard enough. So you've got to like figure out your priorities with all of that. It's, it's a very big thing. And I love that you start with your, the, the why and the reasons why you're making things and the reasons why you are, you know, doing the things that you're doing. That's something that Joy and I talk a lot about too, as far as our fundamental standards. Whenever we, um, whenever we created QWERTY Writing Life, we actually like had a thing. It was like, we're going to do our fundamental standards. We're going to talk about our values and what we want out of this and what, why we want this out of this. And, and it actually had changed over the past five years too from, from what it was before to what it is now. But there are some things that still stayed the same, which was kind of nice to see as well. But we also like to see the change too because we knew that we were growing as creative and collaborators together. But I would venture to say that this is really hard as a beginning for creatives because I feel like it's really hard for me that as human beings, Sometimes we don't take the time to stop and say, you know, ask these hard questions about like, what do I believe? Like, who am I? What do I value? What do, what do I want? You know, and really stopping and asking, especially a Southerner, Dan. Uh, here in the South, we don't like to ask those kind of questions. <laughs> because what we're, you know, we're like, we're, we're, it's kind of selfish. It feels selfish to ask those kind of questions. 
and it feels like um, it feels like we should be giving to other people instead of focusing on on what we want. Um, but we're learning slowly but surely. But yeah, it's funny because I think of that's that's fascinating way too because it's like I'm even thinking again the situation I'm in where it's like I have to support my wife and my kids and my business today, but. I took my 45 minute walk this morning and I'm doing my stretches because if I'm not healthy and I break down, then how on earth, and if I don't show up for this podcast, how am I supporting them? You know, so in a way it's selfish. It only benefits me in the the immediate term, but me being healthy and happy then benefits them. It means I'm not short with them because I'm stressed or I'm bitter or I'm unhealthy. So it's an interesting thing when we think about how our work does serve other people, especially as writers too. I think people forget that, that it's not just you expressing like your work entertains people, it connects with people, it educates people. It does all these magical things. Um, And yeah, but I see what you mean where it can really be hard to see that sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And I do love the the change, the good thing, and something good I think that social media is bringing about is a focus on your personal health and how that affects the people who are around you. And it's allowing us to take some stock on what we're doing and realize that, you know, if I don't take my walk, if I don't eat healthier, if I don't take my medicine, if I don't go to that doctor's appointment, that it, it really does affect the people that we love the most. Yes, it affects us, and eventually it will harm us physically or mentally or something, but it affects the people that we love the most. And if there's anything that you can get as a self uh, a selfless person to, to make a change, it's going to be to to let them know that it's going to affect the people that they love. So it is, it's been, that's something good that's come out of social media. I like that. This really flows well but we're going to talk about collaboration. So the topics for our second, third, and fourth episodes of this season focused on an author's place in the creative world. And a huge part of that discovery is collaboration. So could you give us some examples of how you've seen powerful collaborations between creatives develop and maybe some mighty products that resulted from that? Yeah, absolutely. Collaboration is this idea that I think it's sort of, we talk so much about the tools of social media, the brands, but inherently we talk about marketing. A lot of it really is this idea of collaboration. It's like you emailing someone. Um, I mean, even thinking as you talk about this, an author I've worked with, Jessica Elefante, who has a, a new book that just came out, and she's now on a tour that she created, and she's going to different cities, and she's in conversation with at a bookstore. And some of the other people she's in conversation with, it's for her book, but these are notable other authors. Like, so now it's there are two people on the bill. And these are people that she has befriended over the years. Um, I did a, a, a case study on, I don't even know how many she made, but I got one where she sent a promotional package for her book. And it was this adorable, like, miniature pizza box, like an actual pizza box from a pizza, like a small pizza. It had the book, it had all these zines, it had all these really personal like things in it. It was really beautiful. I did a whole post about it. You can see on danblank.substack.com. Um, and I knew this when I worked with her. She has an incredible network of people. And when I got the box, I mean, I knew this because I've known her for a while. We've worked together. But you sort of see, which is like, oh, man, like she's so good. Because I got it, and it was it was just great. And then I wrote about it and she wrote me this incredible letter back and there's a note in there. And you see these little moments that are very, very old fashioned. The idea of like, oh, I I heard you had a bad week. Here's a thing of brownies. Like that builds a connection. So now we can think, well, I don't live next door to you. So what can I do? Well, I can send you an email. I can send you an image. I can send you this box. I mean, I'm curious, actually, I want to find out how many she sent and how much it cost her, like actual money. Um, Because I think it's so easy for people to look at that and say, well, I added it up. It's going to be like $900 or it's going to be $1,800 or I've, Oh, I've got to mail it. Mail is so expensive. Or I don't know that many people, or is it really worth it? What if I give them a retweetable image instead? Like we get in all this place and all these ideas are fine. But the idea of the collaboration is 
all of those relationships she's built relationships she's built over time meant that when she thought about her whole book is about analog and in person so she wants to do a bookstore tour well what would really get people in the door it would be a great conversation a great conversation with herself and someone else who is really interesting and then i'm sure she's making it really fun because that silly pizza box was amazing um and this is what i've looked at i've i've got another case study on my site and this is from years ago but i always think it's such a great example when i work with novelist miranda beverly whittemore we had like a whole spreadsheet for a book launch and one of the things is like do a giveaway and I still save the text chain where she's like, ah, we have to do a giveaway, right? And we're both like, I don't want to. So we're like, you know, because it just felt so like, you know, like, okay, we're giving away five copies of my book, you know, comment below. It felt very like everyone's doing it. It didn't feel fun. So long story short, um, we came up with an idea and then she brought in Julia Fierro, who at the time was running the Sackett Street Writers Workshop in Brooklyn. And she's amazing. And I don't think Miranda really knew her that well. I didn't know her at all. And she pitched her saying, look, here's what we're doing. We're looking for other writers coming out with books this summer. And the three of us, long story short, brought in like 24 other writers. We did a month-long giveaway. Every day we featured a new writer, an interview, a book giveaway of their book. We gave away two batches of books um, from all the writers and a whole bunch of these writers went on to become like best-selling, notable authors, and all the writers were great. Um, but it was really fun, and it was very collaborative. Miranda made a lot of relationships during that because she didn't know these writers at first. They came through Julia, but then through the interaction. And I always remember, like this was like the moment I knew it had legs. Is it was like towards the end of it, I was having lunch with uh, someone I know who worked in the literary side at a big social media network at the time. And um, I was explaining, she's like, oh, what's going on? I told her about that. And she was like, that's you? She's like, everyone's talking about that. And it was just, you know, it's like those little moments in your life, you're like, oh my gosh, like something worked, you know, like, you know, I don't take those for granted. And it was such a great example of just emailing people, asking people, even there we're saying, can you donate three copies of your book? Can you do an interview? And it's a lot to ask of these people, but why they all agreed was because they had books coming out. And if we think about when an author has a book coming out and you say, hey, I'd love to promote your book and I'd love to give it away. And I've got these other authors who are pretty awesome too. It's such an easy yes. It's like, oh, sure. All I have to do is give you like three books worth, you know, 30 bucks of my time or whatever. Like, no problem. And again, I think about the relationships that are still, like Miranda and Julie still have to this day because of that. So it's just neat to think about collaboration at that level. I have a summer reading challenge that this will be coming up will be my eighth year of doing it. But we have authors who come in and they give a copy of their book away. They each have a week where they're the featured author for the week. And it is so much fun. And I love sharing new authors with the readers who already follow me because I know that they're going to love their books. And it's just so much fun. You know, hopefully it actually reaches more people and we, we, we do that, but it's fun. And I think yeah. I keep hearing that um, from you, just finding something new and different and something that resonates and is just latches onto your heartstrings of the things that you love. Well, th then it's worthwhile. Like I always think of this, it's not even a metaphor. It's a real thing. Like, you know, years ago when I'd have like, you know, my twenties and I have like parties, I like throwing parties and I always try to do it with a friend or with two friends. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that, even if nobody comes to the party, the three of us are there. And chances are the three of us will each bring one person. Now it's six of us. And we brought all these decorations and brought all these beverages and food. Like, even if nobody shows up, we're going to have a great night now. And just even the planning of it becomes fun because someone has like, oh, I'm going to get the smoke machine. And like something weird goes wrong with that. Like it becomes a process in and of itself instead of what a lot of parties are, which is like, over planning and then sitting there like waiting i hope somebody shows up and that kind of like agita which you know i don't know i don't like that kind of anxiety <laughs> well i totally agree and it makes so much sense it's so logical dan <laughs> <laughs> logic and fun but i do have a question just about the practicalities of this you've been doing this for a very long time now and you've made all these collaborations you've met all these people you've developed all these relationships it how do you keep up with them all is it very organic do you just let the ones that stay stay is it 
fall by the wayside? You know, let them fall by the wayside. I'm, I'm it's a great question. There's, I would say, there's two things I do on on a daily basis. It's often just, yeah, it happens organically in that way, which is like I'll comment on things, all that sort of thing. Um, probably three things I do. Another is that um, I'll have calls with people. So recently, there's been like three calls I've had with people that I met professionally, but we sort of really got along. And recently I just reached out and said, do you want to chat? And we had long Zoom chats over the course of a couple months, like three individual people, separate things. And it really just was like, I think you're awesome. I feel like we're friends and I just want to catch up. And those have been, I mean, to me, just magical conversations. Um, I mean, maybe because I've got like, I've got a six-year-old and 13-year-old and I really think of like, whenever I have a conversation with another adult and it's about art and writing and it's like not prof- like, it just feels so special to have that. Cause I know how much of my life can easily get sucked up into the world of my six year old and his school and his teacher and all the events around that. Um, another thing that I will do, and I'll do this about once a year is, um, and I, I, this, uh, this sounds so like silly in some ways, but I will give myself like a 30 day goal. And the goal is I have to email at least one person a day. And it has me going back through the people I know. These are people I actually know, people I actually like. And usually when you go back through, you're like, oh, Brooke is amazing. And you're like, I haven't emailed her in 14 months. And you just reach out to them. There's no big ask. There's no big thing to do. It's not even let's hop on the phone. It's just wanted to reach out. I love what you're doing here and you're here. You know, if ever I could do anything for you or you want to chat, like I'm here. And that is really nice because one, it helps me extend those relationships because I forget, you know, we're all so busy in our lives. Um, Often they want to hear from you too, because again, there's no big ask or anything selfish in that way. And often really nice things come from that too, because something happens organically. And that idea of like, uh, email one person a day, some days I'll email four people. Some days I'm like, who's left to email? And then you just like figure out, oh my gosh, that whole community, I, I did a speaking gig there. And those two people on the panel, they were amazing. And you realize how much bigger your circle of relationships are than you thought. And I feel like attending to that is work at times, but it's not work because like we're horrible people. It's work because your obligations, your day job, your kids, your health, all these things take up all of your time. And you sort of like, I don't know, I find sometimes you get closed in and having that challenge kind of opens you back up again. That's fantastic. I love that. And, and simple. It's, it really is simple. It's a one email yeah. in some cases, and that's fantastic. So you mentioned earlier about ideal readers. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about that. Why do you think understanding your ideal reader makes the author feel more comfortable and confident marketing their work? So inherently, we talk about you know the actual readers we don't know. And the, the whole idea of readership is so weird because... What gets people to become aware of a book and consider buying it and put in their car and take it out of their car and put back in their wish list and forget about it, then be reminded of it, then actually buy it, then get it, then forget to start reading it, then start reading it, then abandon it. Like we forget how weird that process is. So we talk about marketing, like what we're going to do of, oh, I'm going to do an event, I'm going to have a newsletter, I'm going to put on social media, I'm going to do a, a workshop, I'm going to do a retreat. It's like, how do I reach out to people? And The ideal reader for me is this idea of really thinking about them as real people. So often the exercise I go through, it is to define a person that defines a wider swath of people. So when I'm doing this with clients, we will give that person a name, we'll give them like an address, we'll give them a job, we'll give them like a family structure. Um, And then we're really focused on like, what are they really drawn to? What are they really worried about? And we're finding intersections between, well, if you have a novel or a memoir or a nonfiction book or poem, where is that kind of intersecting? And that helps to me, if we, again, just think of the simple example of a newsletter, like what are, what are we writing about each week? So if we have, I'm an ideal reader, their name is Joy. You know, it's like, what would Joy need to hear this week? If I was going to really help give Joy a specific marketing strategy, what, what would that look like? How would I structure that? What would the headline be that would really get her to pause in her, in her feed. Um, and there are times I'll do that where I'm writing something and I'll put that persona's name at the top or I'll write something in my head to someone. 
And it gives me a lot of permission. Like I'm looking at some of the stuff I'm writing this fall and I'm like, this feels a little wacky, but it is totally aligned with my mission. And it's just leaning into like, this is how I think. And I'm, I'm thinking that like, I hope that if it, it does, it's aligning with people and I'm actually having more success than I've had in a long time in terms of just feedback and people giving me good, you know, feedback about that, which is really nice. Um, and it's this idea of like, how are you connecting what's in here or up here with really what draws someone to the themes you write about or the kinds of books you write or the kinds of stories that you write. So it's defining that as best you can and then kind of thinking about how can you make that a small connection today, whether it's one thing you share on Instagram or one thing you write in a newsletter or one email that you send or one place that you show up to. It really does change the way that you approach things. When you are able to think of one particular person, you have this picture in your mind. It's it's like having a conversation with a friend rather than, you know, thinking about all of the million ways of how can I reach a million people? Well, don't think about it in those terms. And that's a lot of what your book is about, you know, focusing on that one at a time. Well, we don't talk about the challenge too, is that one day you get that one post that goes viral and you reach a million people. And then every week after that, you feel like a total utter failure because mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to recreate that viral thing again. And you're quote unquote stuck talking to your core audience. So learning who they are, learning what that voice, the conversation is, that's how it also becomes joyful and I think fulfilling in the process. So when it does come to place, so this idea of where we belong in the creative world, both as creatives and our work, where it belongs, um, two questions on that. What do authors tend to overlook in their pursuits? And then what are some missteps that you've seen over the years that we could maybe avoid? Um, I'll start at well, two different levels to this. So one is having a place where you can create. Um, in the ideal world, it is a room with a door that locks. And I think that even if you've never clicked that lock, just having it there, I think is so magical. Um, and if you don't have that, because a lot of people don't, they live in small houses and they have a lot of people living there, is figure out a library, a cafe, a hotel lobby is a great place, somewhere that you can go. I had someone who was in my mastermind group she would come back from her day job and she had a specific parking spot outside of, I forget if it was like Target or Walmart. It was under a tree, so shady. And she would write there for like 20 minutes and then she'd go home. And I thought that was just genius. That was her little parking spot because she had like a three or four kids. She's coming home from a long day at work, but that was her time. She didn't have a spare room. She didn't have the time to stop somewhere and get a coffee and sit down and get set up. But she could pull her car over under that tree, right on her laptop, and then go home. And she found a way to make sure that 20 minutes wasn't missed with the family. So the first thing is having that place of your own and figuring out all the creative ways you can do that. Um, the other idea with place is feeling like you can really show up there. So if we're talking about the online space, it's figuring out the primary first place. And then like really showing up. So for me, it's like with my newsletter, like they tend to be long and that's where I really show up as honestly as I can exploring an idea. And then a lot of what I share on social kind of comes from that. But if you don't really have that or don't want that, if you're going to say, oh, I really like Instagram or I really like um, TikTok, then show up there all the way. Really think about, you know, not just like, well, no, I post once a week. You know, it's like, okay, if you're really showing up there, what does that look like? What does the frequency look like? How are you using all their tools? Where does attention really come into that? Like, I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, Instagram is like actually three different feeds. It's like the main square feed. It's the stories feed that disappears after 24 hours. It's the reels feed. And if you think about where do new people find you, it's almost always through the reels feed, which a lot of people don't want to do because it's video based. But again, if you're saying, oh, Instagram is my place, then there's that business sense of if this is my place and I want growth, then I have to embrace reels because that is where organic growth is happening on Instagram. If I will not do that, fine, that's a great boundary to set. But then don't pretend it's your main place if you're not willing to really show up there. It's kind of like 
showing up to like, oh, that cafe, that's my social circle and walking in with like a bag over your head. It's like, well, if you don't want to show up, that's fine, but don't show up halfway or show up and sit in the corner and kind of like put a hat over your eyes, and like not participate. That's a great visual. <laughs> I love that. Okay. So earlier you talked about how we kind of need to give ourselves the permission that we don't have to be some great expert or whatever, that we still have a voice. So later this season, we're going to be chatting about the great conversation. So what advice would you give an author who fears that they have nothing to add to that conversation? It feels like such a deep question. Um, so I, I guess... Is. I didn't know that you shot him that one. <laughs> That's a big one. <laughs> I mean, do two things. Um, one, it would be share anyway. And a lot of times when I do the share anyway, I don't think about the person. So I remember earlier this year, I did this, I'm going to do it again, but I want to do more video. And I just said, okay, I'm going to do, I have a lot of 30 day challenges in my head because it just, it takes the thought out of it. I'm going to do a video a day. I thought about the idea for a while. And then I think it was March 1st of 2023. I just read a, a, a newsletter from Re Rebecca Green, who's an amazing author and illustrator and artist. I just want to do a video on that. And then I did the first video and I'm like, oh, oh, I'll just keep going now. I'll do my 30 day video idea. I didn't have any goals. I didn't know. It was just, let me just do this thing. It's sort of like all the people talk about writing advice. Just show up to the page. Just write for 10 minutes. Don't worry if it's horrible. In fact, if it's horrible, that's great. It should be horrible. And it's sort of like removing the expectations, not sharing and then saying, well, I didn't get any likes, so I deleted it. I hear so many people say stuff like that. And I'm like, one, you can do that. Like, you can do whatever you want in life. But it's like, stop worrying about the likes or the reshares. You're sharing to develop your voice. And if that's even a challenge, which I understand it would be for a lot of people, find one person you can share this with that is safe. And I will say, that is not always going to be your partner, your family, your friends, or your colleagues. I don't know why, I guess because they're there, we like to think that these people are going to be our best audience, and for a lot of people, they are their worst audience. Not because they're not loving awesome people, they are, but they see you in a different role. They don't, they understand you as they relate to you, they don't understand why you're creating. And some people might be threatened by it, because now you're not caregiving, or you're not doing your job, or you're not showing up to bingo night, or whatever it is they want to do with you. Um, so don't be afraid if it's an in-person thing of finding a writing group or finding a, an arts group or finding a, a local bookstore and finding people offline that might be open to that and just kind of like putting it out there without any expectation. This has been wonderful. And we're going to post in the show notes, we're going to put links to all of your stuff, your website, um, your book, of course, your podcast. And I will say the newsletter, the weekly newsletter, I love it. I look forward to Friday mornings. <laughs> so if you guys have not subscribed yet, I highly recommend that. Um, and of course, Instagram and X or whatever it is these days. <laughs> we'll put all those links. Is there a particular thing that though that you would really love to for people to come and find you? I mean, I'd say go to Substack, so danblank.substack.com. Mm -hmm. That's the newsletter essentially, but Substack is its own weird thing now, so I would encourage you to explore that as well. All right, May, do you have anything else or any other questions or anything? Well, I am I'm new to Dan actually, so this has been extremely wonderful. I have taken mental notes on a lot of the things that we've talked about today and it's just been really it's kind of calmed a lot of my fears about marketing and about like me as an artist and, and um author platform and all of those big words that we put a lot of weight on. So I, I appreciate this conversation so much. And I know that our listeners are going to appreciate it as well. And I know it's already changed Joy's life uh, and, and how she's um, working toward opening up to community and to people. And what I'm, there were a couple of things. Uh, one thing was, as I saw a bit of a pattern where you took something that was huge and overwhelming and you made it into something that was personable and manageable and not only the word marketing but also in collaborating and also in sharing and all of those things so that's brilliant okay. uh, the other thing was is that um, I am learning to uh, to that a sharing is a 
relationships. It's about people, not only about our creative selves, but uh, kind of going through a personal journey as well as opening up to people and finding people and being vulnerable with people in a way that is, you know, safe and healthy. And uh, so this kind of just flows right into that personal journey that I, that I'm going through into my writing life and creative life. And I have a feeling that some of our listeners are going to be purchasing your book very soon. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. That's very kind of you. And I will say like, this is something like I was this morning going back through and all of the red, like I totally marked up your book, Dan, (laughs) but but it's helpful because now I go back through and I like read the highlights and I'm like, yes, that's right. That's what I'm supposed to be doing or whatever. So highly recommend. (laughs) Thank you. So now let's, end with a QWERTY challenge. So my challenge to you would be to email one person this week and tell them that you admire their work and why you admire it. So this can be an author. It can be a podcaster. It can be someone's newsletter that you get. It can be someone you follow on Instagram. I think this action, a lot of people have a challenge with because they say, well, I, I, don't, I don't want to bother them. And I'm telling you, Um, We're recording this on a a Tuesday. Whoever you're emailing uh, at this time on Tuesday wants to get this email. They want to get an email from someone saying, thank you for doing what you do. Your work matters to me. Have a great day. You don't have to make a big ask. You don't have to tell them anything, like make a pitch or anything. Just tell them that that their work matters to you and why. And that's it. It's just that simple. That's my challenge to you. That's a perfect challenge. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Well, thank you again so much for being here with us. We really appreciate you taking the time to share with us. Thank you both so much. I really appreciate being here. (laughs) Thank you so much for Dan Blank for joining us in this wonderful episode. I have so many things I want to do now. (laughs) I know. I know. He definitely gives so many great practical tips that makes you just want to dive right in and keep going. Love right. it. And I'm, I'm not 100% way through with the book, but I've already found so many uh, just really gems yeah. and golden nuggets there that are going to just change everything. I think, especially the way that I, uh, I view uh, things like marketing and author brand and all of those big words and labels mm-hmm. that we put on things that really are just, uh, you could rename them as like relationship building and finding this community and, um, and, and like, making friends. Like, yeah. doesn't that sound a lot better than like author brand? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so true. So I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to finish the book and also to follow in your footsteps, Joy. Thank you for uh, for reaching out to Dan and making him part of this pretty writing life. Absolutely, I'm just so thankful that he was able to. It was wonderful. So we're going to actually be doubling up on our creative week in our next episode, where we'll also be talking about redefining self-care. We're going to chat about it with you guys. Yeah. And I love that Dan actually mentioned a little bit about that in this episode. So I'm sure we're going to be referencing back to what he had to say when we get to chat. (laughs) So you guys have a wonderful week. And go make something. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. We hope this episode encouraged you. Like all creatives, we thrive on consumer recommendations. So please consider leaving us a review and sharing our podcast with your creative friends. If you'd like to continue this conversation, visit us on our website at QWERTYWritingLife.com or on Instagram at QWERTYWritingLife.